The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Hey, listen, welcome back. We're, we're continuing our, our conversation regarding the, the metaphors and the core values that we find. We, listen, we find these in, in, in our scriptures. This is our holy book. This is what we use to sort of guide our lives and, and, and to experience God. So let me speak to a few of you here this morning that, you know, if you're visiting here today you're, or you, this is maybe your second or third time, you know, you, you get to listen in sort of an in-house conversation because these are the core values that we remind ourselves of once a year that, that guide our view corporately. But then we also use the core values to, to inform our lives as individuals. And so in this particular morning regarding, you know, water, uh, the subtitle here is Journeying with Others. Love is the context for all mission. And uh, the, the thing I find interesting about this is that I know in some traditions there's a bit more, uh, maybe I guess traditional religious symbols would be um, a cross and, and fishes and lambs and all that. And we're not anti any of that. It's just that we also see other metaphors that are used, like wood, water, wind, and fire, as God uses to explain to us who he is and how we experience him. And so this morning, to start with, let's go to the scriptures and look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. So this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. The, um, well, I guess I'll just start with this. I think the, the interesting conversations that I've had this past week, um, you know, this has been almost like a prep, unplanned, sort of spontaneous things going on about relationships, and especially ones that go wrong. Because usually the ones that go right, you don't want to listen to that person. They just, oh, they're so wonderful. I just can't, you know, you know really, I'm so not interested, you know. And, 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 and uh, I mean, unless it's about me, then yes, go on and I'll give you a dictionary for better adjectives. Um, but my point, and there is one, is that I think we have a, a sometimes a misinformed view of what God is like. It's cultural, it's almost comical. You know, the idea that somehow God's on this, this mountaintop or a target or, or a stationary place. And so by your actions, I, I need to do good things, I need to behave a certain way or go to a certain place and then I move towards God. I get closer and closer to him. And that's entirely wrong in terms of how the scripture explains it. The scripture would say that God leaves the mountaintop to go and find us. And what makes it even more important to understand is that when I'm in that place that I feel most disqualified, most distant, most broken, most undeserving of his love is when he actually his love becomes the most healing part into my soul see you know it, it's funny um, 
Have you ever had those, those friendships or relationships? Because I mean, I have one right now where, you know, I love this person, they're a close friend, and, you know, they've shared some things about their lives, and, and, and they've gotten to know Lily and I. But the funny thing that I recall is that the, the first few times that we would hug and say goodbye and how are you doing, uh, their response would always be thank you. And, and it struck me that this was sort of a, a person that didn't feel that they deserved it at some level. And see, when you have God come to you at your most sort of undeserving moment, you know what, when you're aware of that, because all of us have our little nasties we're all embarrassed of, and then so when you have that moment that I'm, I'm truly sort of really not feeling good about myself, because I'm this person, I have this habit, I tend to do this thing, and so I'm not really going to experience God in, in, in a very full textured way, that when you do sense his love for you, it's extremely healing. Because you know you're loved. And so what, what John says to us is that, you know, if you're a kind of person that you just generally don't like people, you probably haven't experienced this love. And you can say you love God, but the reality is you just don't. Because someone that's experienced that is going to be able to show it to someone else, period. I mean, this is not sort of a, a most likely or the best case scenario. John, who's experienced this in a very significant, unique way, says, this is how it is. You can't say, I love people, I love this guy, I love my friends, and, and, and I'm sorry, you can't say that you hate them, dislike them, and don't want them, and claim to love God. Because the two are mutually incompatible. And so he speaks that really one of the ways that people receive and experience God's love is through us. Have you ever had the thought of wondering, why didn't God just you know, do some spectacular thing to show folks that he cares for people? And, and you, know, you get the sense that, yeah, God could have you know, had some, some angel thing happen, things in a crowd, but, but you know what's... what's Surprising to arrive at is that he, in our story here in this book, says the most miraculous thing that I do is live in you to show others that I love them. Yeah, I could have had an angel come up and, you know, there's tons of laying around doing nothing. And, and there's all sorts of things I could have done. But the fact that you guys have, I have myself living in you you are the way I'm going to show folks that I exist and that I love them. And so that at a very real fundamental level, when folks in our culture are confused about who God is, as a church, we have to own that. I mean, where else are they supposed to get the information? Where else are they supposed to experience that? And, and by the way, you know, to me, it's... Um, It's not really a big, miraculous thing when somebody perfect loves you and you love them back. I mean, it's very easy for Lily to love me. And, and so, um, uh, uh, wah, 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 wah. what's amazing is that you guys are here sitting together and you love each other. I'm going to assume the best of all of you and that you do love each other. 
I mean, when somebody perfect loves you and says, man, I am so committed for you, and they know how you're wired, and they know how to speak into your soul, and it's always healthy, and it's always encouraging, and, and when there's an obstacle in your life that prevents you from being the ideal person that you can be, they have the ability and the power to remove it. See, as parents, we sort of have that, but, you know, we fail sometimes, but not God. And so that's not really that miraculous that we love him. What's miraculous is that you guys love each other. You, you guys uh, pray for each other. You guys encourage one another. You guys uh, take care of each other. And you know each other. <laughs> In spite of what you know of each other, you still do that. And so that's where you might say the miraculous comes in, but this is what John calls us to. He says, hey, look, if you've experienced this from God, then actually this is how you ought to be experiencing each other, forgiving, loving, caring, encouraging each other. Now let's get a bit more into the water metaphor and go to John chapter 4, verses 1 through 15. Um, this is one of those stories where a little context might be helpful, and we've talked about this last week. In this story, you have to feel every sort of racial tension that you can because it's, it's, it's ripe with it. The second thing you'd have to feel is that, you know, in Middle Eastern culture and in some um, communities still, you, you know, men and women don't mix in public. You just don't. And it's just, you know, doesn't happen. And so there's the, um, there's the culture that says men and women don't speak and engage publicly. How many of you guys saw the stoning of Soraya M? Anybody? Just go, okay, so that, you know what I'm talking about then. Okay, so that's that component. There's a racial component, but there's something even more on top of that. This would be the tension and the dynamic of some, you know, skinny jean-wearing barista over in Irvine telling the C-level executive who's coming in for their latte that his worldview on life is wrong. Well, you know, I think life should be lived like this. It's about that. Oh, yeah, you're wrong. Here's your coffee. See, telling someone else that what, how they frame and understand and see the world, that it's completely off and wrong, is not usually a pleasant conversation. I mean, unless you guys have had it differently. All right, so this is what's going to happen to this woman with Jesus. And I'll start at verse 7 instead. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, A, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How is this just me for a drink? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. How can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? So Jesus said, now you have to imagine, you're sitting at the well, because, hey, man, everybody that drinks from this well, they're just going to get thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, 
sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. At 52, some things I no longer recall, like what I had for breakfast this morning, um, where was I last night, and I remember a year ago, oh wait, it was yesterday, I remember, there's just some things that just, you know, they don't form as easily, you know, short-term memory is kind of like, <laughs> I always imagine these little wires sparking, you know, they're trying, you know, they're just not always there. But I remember easily the, the tensions and the anxiety of my 20s, especially with relationships, career, who I'm supposed to be. I always feel for freshmen, you know, you have to declare your major. You're supposed to know at 17 or 18 what you're going to do the rest of your life. That's just always been nuts to me. Nonetheless, back to me, because, you know, that's what this is about. So. Um, and I can remember all those sort of questions and anxieties and, and even the moments that you felt extremely, completely alone, even with folks. I just recall that time when there's just to me so many negative voices screaming in my head that, and it was just so painful that I thought, well, maybe if I inflict physical pain on my body, it'll drown out the emotional pain from the voices. Now, if you're taking notes, I would say this strategy did not work. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to shorten your learning curves that when you damage yourself physically to, to drown that out, it just doesn't happen. But to use this metaphor, I, 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 was, I was just extremely thirsty. Now, see, everybody hears the story and, and you're thinking about Jesus, the living water. Oh, awesome, it's a good picture, you know, and... See, but I feel it from the woman's point of view. And I know that's, that's target rich for puns, but the point is, is that I really do feel it from the woman's point of view. Jesus is going to speak with her in a bit in the, later in the story, and, and he's going to point out, you've had five men in your life that will sleep with you, that will let you cook their food, that will let you take care of them, but they will never choose you, will they? No one is ever saying, I, I'm, I'm committing to you full-time. Of all the women in this town or village, you know, you're the one that I'm going to focus and love. They're there for a time, and then they move on. And so here she is coming alone to the well to draw water for her current knucklehead. And Jesus says, I, I, I know that what you're looking for is not that guy. See, because... By the way, you know why you feel lonely sometimes, right? Because you're wired for a relationship. You're, you're, you're built to have a significant relationship in your life. And, and the primary one that seems to color and inform everything else is when it's God as the primary relationship, it spills out in healthy ways to your other ones. It ought to. But when this is cut off, sometimes, you know, especially as you get older, you, you forget that desperate sense of being absolutely feeling alone. No one gets me. No one understands me. And, and just your incredible sense that no one's even choosing me at some point. And Jesus says, oh, not only do I love humanity, but I'm especially fond of you. And I have living water that will stop the thirst 
And so water and Christ become these two metaphors that he speaks of that we use as our core value, one of our core values to describe our community, at least as an ideal. And you know, I, I, sometimes I get a little bit nervous. People come visit a mosaic campus or they visit this place and they go, oh my gosh, the church I came from was ridiculous. And they were so X, Y, and you know, mean to me, silly, you know, strict, judgmental, or A or E, all the above. And, but now, now I found the perfect church. And I always think, huh. Wait for it. You know, it's just a matter of time. We're much better in smaller doses, you know, but once you get to know, see, because honestly, isn't that true about relationships? I mean, you meet somebody, you think, oh, they're so cool, they're great, and then you spend like, you know, an extra hour with them, you go, man, they're creepy and weird, they're dirty. Because like I said, it's, it's not a surprise that people, that you love someone who's perfect, it, it's a surprise when you love somebody who's a mess, or makes a mess, or leaves a mess. So I'm saying to those of us who are, let's say this is your home or this is your, you think it might be a home or you just, man, you, you want to know if anybody will choose you. Let me say to you, yes, God chooses you. But this is a value that we shoot for, hold to, and ascribe for. This we use to define us. But I'm pretty certain because we're human, we're going to drop the ball. But it's still our goal. It's still a value that we hold. All right, living water. Let's go to John chapter seven and take a look at another story. John seven thirty-seven. Have you noticed how every Fourth of July, you know, even illegal aliens are, are American, right? Firecrackers and, and whatever it might be. And uh, I'm just, I'm just saying that as the son of an illegal alien, you know, I feel the liberty to uh, insult all things Hispanic. But the, the point is, is that. Um, <laughs> And my father became a citizen, but I'm telling you, I know he did it to buy firearms because he never <laughs> voted in his life. But man, we were like, you know, the House Davidian. Yeah, we were like House Manuel. I mean, we were just, dang, dude, it was crazy. Anyways, um, just a little peek into my life. Back to this. Um, a lot of festivals, a lot of, um, you know, things were colored and were important in this culture. This is another one. And uh, this is one that every festival is meant to be celebratory. It was to remind people in a celebratory fashion about God's kindness towards them, okay? And so this was one known as the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths or Sukkoth. And, and what it was, it was to remind people that when the nation was wandering in the desert for 40 years, that God took care of them. And so for a week, temporarily, you built this little shack. You put it on the patio of your home or the rooftop of your home. Generally, it was the rooftop, and you lived in it. And we see that the recent Israeli film uh, called The Guests, worse than nothing, okay? Okay, I'm just saying. But it's a recent film, like 2007, and, and it, it, it's, it's, it's set in the time of the Feast of Tabernacles or booths or shacks, okay? All right, so it's a shack. That's what's going on here. But at the end of this week-long event... Uh, the priests and those who were uh, stewards of the temple would take these large water pots filled with water and, and, and pour it out on the steps to commemorate God providing water to his people in the desert. See, that's the setting, okay? Now this is what Jesus says. Verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. And so you have to picture 
here are these, these priests, I mean, just throwing out the water, and people are like, oh, that's right, God took care of our ancestors, and they got water. And then Jesus says, hey, man, if anyone is thirsty, in the middle of a desert, you should drink from me. And look what he says here. Verse 38, because whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow within him or her. See, I think while water is a metaphor for our culture, it's out of the scripture, for our community, I think this is the metaphor for us as individuals. It's a, it's a water bottle. If people are to experience God, and they're not stepping into communities, they're not reading Bibles, they're not, you know, whatever they're doing to inform their lives and their souls, you know what they have? You. Paul says we are those letters or living letters that are read by people. And, and you know, I think if he wrote it today, he would say, we're the billboards for God. We, you know, we're the screensaver. You know, we, we are the ones that explain God to people. And this, I think, is one of them. It has to be water. Where we help folks quench the thirst that they have by showing them God's love by our actions. So, you know, they can't be words, can they? Um, you know, those, especially some of you guys, most of you guys, you know, when you care for a girl, you go to the, you go to the, the, the Hallmark store and you look at a card, you read it. Ah, okay, that's fine. You know, nah, stupid. And then you go, oh, puppy. You think the puppy's gonna work, right? You go, gosh. No, that's stupid too. And so then you have to go to Papyrus or some cool gift card place, right? Or the paper company. And you, because you're gonna get a blank one. And you're gonna go, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write my, I'm gonna write my stuff out. And then you, you know, and by the way, Lily has kept all the cards I gave her. Both of them. And she's gonna, uh, no, I would write poetry. I read it now. I, I fall in love with myself. I mean, I was, I was gifted, man. I, I had my game going. Because you, you guys have met Lily and you know me. Uh, I didn't have money, so all I had was poetry. But if some man gave, a, as women, gave you a card and said how much they loved you and cared for you and then never, never came home, or mistreated you, or you follow, I mean, words are not enough. And even if they didn't do anything bad, babe, I so love you, here's a card, and sat down and watched TV the rest of the night. See, actions have to, have to be part of the love experience. See, you know, God didn't declare from his, his place and say, oh, I so love you, I know you're tormented, I know you're broken, I know you're lonely, I know you scream in anguish at night. I know your heart's broken. I know you weep in silence. Love you. So he took the action of sending his son so that we could connect to him and experience his love so that we can also share with others. And that's always the story. But the water bottle makes sense to me because of, of this water that it's not water that builds up to you like a big balloon and you pop. It's the idea that there's movement. I experience God's life, it, it flows to me out to others. And by the way, here's something else. You know, you're just not gonna find a list of things to do or don't here. Number one, I'm not that guy. Number two, I don't wanna be that guy. 
And number three, I understand one thing about love, that when I love someone, my love moderates my actions. You know, I, I love Lilia. And, and I like that connection that we have, so I'm not going to do things that are going to break that connection. You follow? Make sense? Okay, so here's what I'm confident of, that when you experience God's life in your souls, and you find that this action seems to kind of cut you off from that, you know what you're going to do? Because you love the action and you love God? Oh, well, then this has got to go. <laughs> so I can experience Him. Now, listen, clearly the Scripture has very clear guidelines about how our life should be lived. But understand, it's, this is not God saying, do this so that I can love you. He's saying, if you do this, you're not going to sense and experience my love for you. I love you. But you will, it's literally toxic in your soul, and you're going to cut yourself off from my experience. So, by the way, and one last thing about the community. God is not looking for some homogenous group either. Have you ever, have you, well, I, want to, I don't want to say churches, so I don't want to throw churches under the bus, but I guess I already did. Have you been to some churches where you walk in, you know you weren't wearing a uniform? Whatever it was. My son came from South Carolina a couple weeks ago. He was dad. <laughs> there was a uniform and no one sent me the memo. And he said there was a polo shirt with, with the khakis and, and loafers and no socks. He said it was like 80% of all the guys were wearing that. And I, 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 it was just odd. Now, by the way, we all have our kind of our thing here, too, in L.A. We have there's a certain code. But what I'm saying is that if you didn't get the memo and you walk in and everyone sort of looks the same and you know they must be voting the same. Okay, now here's what I want to say about that. God is not looking for some homogenous, robotic group of individuals. He's looking for your uniqueness. And when I say the word uniqueness, I mean the sense of, of wholeness and health. So this is another thing. We, we, we don't produce a list to you and say, hey, here's how you're supposed to live your life and do, you know, don't watch R-rated movies. Make sure you vote this way in that proposition. Make sure, that's just not us. Hey, but we'll always encourage you to love God and do good things with other people, with people, for people, to experience God's love. All right, John 17. Verse, start with verse 20. Speaking about holidays again, like I mentioned, July the 4th, everyone's an American. On Passover, everybody's Jewish. Uh, my wife and I were out Friday night. Um, we went to Liberace's penthouse and, uh, to see an art installation. And uh, that was fun. Um, everything was mirrored. It was just, it was crazy. So we were out there, and, but it was, um, we had to drive by uh, some temples there on, near Melrose. And, and there's just something very cool about seeing all these men in their black suits and cool black hats. And I thought, wow, they dress in black to go to church. I mean, I, I, I'm in, you know, and I should be going there. I was meant to be Jewish. And uh, who knew? And so, uh, but, but this, Passover, this Passover event, this, was, this is where everybody in the community in Israel would be Jewish, even if they weren't that devout. You follow? It, 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 this informed their culture. Okay, now, but I want you to feel it from Jesus' point of view, to a degree. See, the book of John's unique because the first, you know, it's like 21 chapters cut in in half. The first half is almost three years. The last half is only one week. Half of that is the last day. This is it. So John's, you know, to him, that last week of Jesus' life was like the focus. It was everything to him. And he tells you up front, I'm writing this so that you'll experience him. So here's this last night. So you're, you're, you're Jesus. You're celebrating a meal 
that's been celebrated for hundreds of years that was always a metaphor for you at this moment. The second thing, you want to start a worldwide global mission that will continue far beyond your physical death and you got these 12 guys and one hates you. And you, got to, you have one last night with them. On top of that, then you also care for these men so incredibly that you know that when they see or sense or experience your suffering, that they're going to freak and not be able to process it. They won't be able to, just like some of you, you have friends that don't allow you to be weak. They could not allow Jesus to go through this. Peter was one guy that says, this is never going to happen to you. I won't allow it. I'd rather die first. And even when Jesus says, dude, you're not catching my mission, he still tried to fight for him. And so I want to encourage them because when they understand and see what's happening to me in the next few hours, they're going to freak. They still did. And so he does the thing that we ought to do when you have all this anxiety and emotion, you're processing. He went to pray. But here's what I want some of you to clearly understand. For those of you who are, have experienced and you understand that thirst and that sense of aloneness, that he is praying for you. This is not a nicety. I'm not trying to be clever. He'll tell you up front. You know, so you can hear this prayer echo through the centuries and speak and cause maybe even this moment for you right now. All right. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, that the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And I, I, that's just such an incredible story that he lays on us to say, look, I'm praying that they would experience the love that you and I have, God, that they would experience that with you. And they experience it in such a unique, authentic way that then everyone who doesn't know it says, God must be alive. Look how they love me and look how they love each other. And, and you know, I, I, I can honestly tell you that this was sort of a theological nicety to me until my son got married. When my son got married, uh, there was a, a, a bridal shower thing. By the way, I, I don't know why guys are invited to bridal showers. We don't know what to do. We stand around. It's like when you take us shopping. We don't know what to do. We'll hold your purse. But truly, it's like no place we can put our eyes and feel comfortable without feeling like some sort of a creepy stalker guy. Especially if it's sometimes, you know, unmentionable. So that's just really, yeah, can I? Where's, where do I put my eyes? Where, where's the man chair that I can, something, oh, that, oh, sorry, I didn't know you were trying that on. And uh, you know, so there's those, there's those moments. I just, you know, don't take us shopping. Why, why punish us? We, we, you know, let us, let us get our petties that we need. So I'm at this bridal shower, and, um, and, and, and I, I, I was explaining to Anna that my son will always be in my heart. I love him. And that's just not going to change. I mean, I, I love my son. Grown man getting married, but he's still my son biologically, and I love him. But as I explained, I go, but he loves you, and you're in his heart. 
And so by default, you're in mine. I cannot not love you. And I, I, when I was at that toast, I finally clicked this passage. And see, this is, what, this is what's amazing to me. I mean, yes, God could have done some awesomely incredible, magnificent things to convince everybody that he's around. You know, could have just shown up. Hey, I'm here. I love you guys. Hope you love me too. You know, I mean, and, uh, I'll be good for you. But instead he says, I, I want you to be the billboard. I want you to be the way that I demonstrate to everyone in the world that I exist and I live and I'm incredibly in love with them. Now here's this last verse and we'll finish with this. John uh, 13, 34. John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all people will know that you're my students, my followers, my disciples, if you love one another. Um, I, I came out of a tradition that uh, the church I was part of before for many years back in the 80s. Uh, good, good pop music maybe, but uh, you know, bad styles. Um, Ever, remember those communities where you know you, you demonstrated how together you were with God by the T-shirt you wore? Remember that, right? There would be some, so your dad probably because you were by the kid. But uh, my point is that you know if you wore the right T-shirt, you were oh this guy must be really holy because he's got this gruesome picture of Jesus on a cross. Or, or you take some very clever ad campaign and put a couple of Jesus words in it to show how clever we were by copying everybody else's clever work. Or, you know, the, a certain bumper sticker that said, or as, okay, not to be critical of anybody's ministry, but you know how every summer there's a particular event that goes on at the Anaheim Stadium? <laughs> and there's some people that collect the bumper stickers? Like, I've done this over and over and over again, you know, and I'm going to go till I get it right. No, I'm just saying is that uh, they, they have those moments. Uh, okay, now here's what I'm trying to point out. <laughs> you know, if I'm not offending somebody once a week, I just... Don't feel like I'm doing my job. From minorities to religious figures, it doesn't matter who it is. Uh, Jesus says, all of that is nonsense if you don't love people. He says, this is the mark of the believer. This is the sign that you're my follower. This is the proof that we're connected, is that you love one another. I said it a moment ago, it's not miraculous to me that people love God, and once they experience his kindness and goodness, that's an easy thing. I'm surprised that Lily and I are still married. I should say, I'm surprised she's still married to me. You know, I, I, I'm surprised that you guys get along, because you guys know each other. Let me say this one last thing, and, and we'll, I'll close, and we'll have some announcements, and we'll get you out of here. At one level, you could live alone and be more efficient. You can move faster, make decisions. I mean, you can actually probably be a bit more efficient living alone. But it'll be far less rich of an experience. If you wish to go further, live more richly, you have to go with others. And I don't mean others that are, agree with you. I just mean others. 
I mean, if, 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 if you, here's the litmus test. If you, if you don't have people in your life that fundamentally disagree with you at every important, vital question in life, I, I just doubt that you have any friends that are not like you to begin with. You follow? I mean, listen, I, I can gaze in the mirror and be in love. I get that. Uh, my point is, is that can you love others who are completely different from you? Maybe what you share is an interest in music or film. But religious and political issues, they don't agree on at all. See, when you love that individual and they love you and they invite you into their life, you're loving people. And part of the God experience is that you go through life with everyone. Those who are family, those who are your friends, those who are part of your community, those who are outside of your community because you actually just like people. And you know why you do? Because you know that God is especially fond of you. Hey, let me dismiss you in prayer and then we'll uh, get to the announcements. Father, thank you for the metaphor of water. That we ought to live life with others. We ought to journey with others because love is the context and the force and the motivation behind all of our mission. That's what I pray for these folks. Those who sense they haven't been chosen. That they understand that you have chosen them. You love them and wish for them to experience your life. I pray for some of us who maybe you just have forgotten and need the reminder of who we are. That these words would be clear to them. And those of us who are confident about who we are, but forget to journey with others and live life with others, that they would begin to share the love they've experienced from you with their friends and their family members that sometimes they just don't hit it off with. Help us be a community that's defined by this core value of water. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.